Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Shane Smith. He is a comedian that you may have seen on YouTube in the uh, videos that he put out a couple years ago on the Dry Bar Comedy Channel that got a lot of reach about having face tattoos. He also had one about uh, Azkaban. I forget the name of that one, but... You remember, you may remember him as the straight edge face tattoo comedy guy, but it turns out there's a lot more to Shane than just that. He's actually a really thoughtful, insightful guy who's kind of, you know, been through a lot of different things in his life from, you know, getting into a bit of legal trouble when he was a kid, growing up in the hardcore scene, and now finding a way to make a living as a comedian outside the kind of boundaries of the traditional comedy system. And we get into all of that, but really my favorite part of this is just like, this is such a good example of how the hardcore scene, and it's probably true of other scenes too, but you know, I don't know. I'm from the hardcore scene, so that's what I know of how it can be just kind of this, you know, I hate to use the word family because it sounds so corny, but it's just kind of, it's kind of true. You know, there's people like Shane where you talk to him and it feels like you've been friends with them for years, even though you just met them. I just, that feeling just makes me so happy and, you know, I instantly got that vibe from him. Hopefully you do too. But we get into all of that, like how he got his start in comedy, how he turned it into his full-time job a couple years ago, how he uses like Twitch and podcasts and other kinds of like content as part of his, I don't know, I guess I'll use the word business model, but that sounds a little bit more cynical. Just, you know, these are all the ways in which he is able to successfully pay the bills being a comedian, which is not an easy thing to do. Like that might be even harder to do than being a musician because, you know, you think about how many people make their living with music versus how many people who make it in comedy. And it tells you that comedy might be even harder than music. So really excited for this one. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as I did. Remember, if you want to support the show, there's a few things you can do. You can share it on social media. Just tag me, tag the guest, tag Deanna. You can also support us on Patreon if you are so inclined. You'll get every podcast early. There's a members-only private Discord server that I'm in. There's a way to have me review your music or video or artwork or anything else. If you're interested in that, there's a link to that in the description. And before we get into the show, let's do a little bit of Q&A. From Mr. Aaron HD, what do you think the next big thing would be in popular music after rap dies down? Well, I have no idea what will happen when rap dies down, if that ever does, but... 
I would say two things. Number one, as much as I think a lot of people are sort of waiting and hoping for rap to die, I don't really see any reason for that to happen anytime soon. It has had a very long shelf life. I mean, I would say that as long as I can remember, going back to like the mid 80s, the overall trajectory of music and popular culture in general has been that rap has just been going up and up and up and basically everything else has been going down in comparison. You know, I first started paying attention to rap in around 1988, so this was kind of you know, when Run DMC were probably the most popular example of that. And then, you know, on the cornier, more pop side of things, uh, Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer a couple years later. And then everything changed in 1991 or two. I forget when it was that uh, that Snoop and Drake came out. Well, probably 89 or 90 first when NWA and Eazy-E were on the cover of Newsweek and Fuck the Police came out and stuff like that. Like that was a big cultural moment. And then Boys in the Hood came out. And then Dre and Snoop came out. And after that, it was kind of all over. Like that became the most influential thing for like global pop culture, I would say. Maybe it wasn't quite as dominant as rap is now, because of course back then there was like grunge and, you know, then pop punk and emo and stuff like that. But as soon as Dre and Snoop came out, that's what the cool kids were listening to. And that has only become increasingly the case. You know, and even just outside of music, like hip hop and urban culture has become so dominant, like globally, that I, I think maybe people don't understand that. Like, for example, the NBA, like basketball, is the most popular American sport. Like, it's crazy popular in China, for example. And basketball is now a hip hop sport. Like, it, NBA, like basketball culture, is you know, essentially inextricably linked to hip hop culture. And that was not the case when I was a kid, you know, in the nineties and even in the two thousands, it wasn't really the case the way it is now. Uh, and I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, there's something about hip hop culture that pretty much everybody in the world just finds appealing. I remember, you know, the, the moment where this really hit me, I mean, I kind of knew that this was the case for a long time, but the moment where it really hit me, I was in an airport or leaving the airport in Indonesia, and it wasn't even in Jakarta, it was in Surabaya, which is like a smaller, I mean, I guess it's still a big city, but it's, you know, the smaller kind of more industrial city than Jakarta. I was leaving the airport there and I stopped at like some, you know, little like roadside stand that sold like soda and bananas and stuff. And they were playing fucking black eyed peas at this roadside stand in Indonesia. And I was like, damn, like this music has some crazy global reach. And, you know, obviously black eyed peas are not the most like hardcore hip hop in the world or anything like that. But the point is that this music resonated with people in fucking Surabaya, Indonesia. And that's just not true of really, you know, anything else that there's people in China, Indonesia and stuff like that, that, you know, find this so compelling. There's all these people in, you know, there's tons of Russian trap rappers, you know, there's people in the UK, like, the UK drill, like, I mean, hip hop, for whatever reason, hip hop culture is just something that people all over the world find really compelling. So that's not to say that, you know, rap will last forever or something like that. But I think 
there's a kind of impulse among rock fans to believe that it's, you know, demise is imminent. And I just don't really think that's going to be the case. Um, so what's going to be next? I have no idea, but I would say, you know, don't be so quick to think that rap is about to die because I don't think it is. And with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Shane Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time for this. Oh, dude, thanks for having me. I feel like we have been friends for years, although this is the first time we've spoken. I just sort of I feel like we have been friends. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, There's that weird like hardcore kid bond where you just immediately you're like, oh, no, if something happens, I'll I'll have this person's back. We must have slept on a floor next to a pile of cat barf at some point or another. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that we have like tons of mutual friends on accident, things of this nature. I'm sure. Well, you know, like a lot of people, the first time I became aware of you was a couple years ago when I saw you on YouTube, you know, on the Dry Bar channel or whatever that is. And I was like, wait a minute, are those like triple X neck tattoos? Like, who, who is this man? <laughs> So I guess t tell us who Shane Smith is for, you know, the hardcore kids who are listening and when the the triple uh, X neck tattoo entered your life, because to normal people having that tattoo is weird. But to the people listening to this show, it's like we know like 50 people that have that tattoo. So a little bit of a different perspective. Exactly. I um that is funny. I, yeah. I so um I am a comic and uh, I got this tattoo. Man, how old is this tattoo? Well, my tattoo is a cover up. So when I was young, I was like in a motorcycle club and doing that sort of thing. And so I had a uh, I had gang tattoos on my neck and my arm. Motorcycle club meaning the the kind that you see on uh, America's Most Wanted. Yeah. Not like the kind that park outside Cracker Barrel. Yeah, yeah. So you know how, I mean, I mean, I guess your audience may be familiar with this. I mean, because, well, I'm a metal kid, but hardcore kids also know this. So, like, a lot of motorcycle clubs recruit from straight-edge culture, basically. Especially, like, in Salt Lake or Neck of the Woods. Yeah, so there's, there's kind of a funnel between, I think, hip-hop rap and metal into crime because <laughs> and not through any fault of the music itself but just because it's adjacent to lower class culture and so like you know if you grow up poor that's a good indicator that you're a down ass dude you know you're gonna do what you need to do to make money or survive um and that's how you vet people when you want them to do things like there is that like salt lake reno yeah motorcycle club kind of pipeline which you're you were apparently part of orange county also uh, yep. uh yeah unfortunately and so yeah so i kind of like got funneled into there and then um i very luckily uh kind of funneled myself out and as i as i got out of that lifestyle i was still like oh no but straight edge and hardcore were the coolest part of all of that so um i got when i got my cover up I was like, let's just throw some big ass black X's and some roses. Let's do that. So I uh, so, and there you go. And now I have a, a straight edge throat tattoo. I do uh, tell people that I like Vin Diesel. I tell the normal <laughs> I tell normal people who ask me about it all. Because, you know, you have to have that conversation about straight edge. Every time I tell a normal person I'm straight edge, they they either say, I don't know what that is, which is fine. And then yeah. I have to explain it, which is kind of annoying or they say, oh, aren't those the guys that like carve X's into people? And I'm like, where did that rumor come from? Because I, I don't think I've ever heard of, I've heard of some wild things, but never carving X's into people. So that one, from what I understand, is like one quarter true. 
I have some mutual friends with the person who apparently did that. And apparently it was a fight where somebody, you know, was cut on the back. And the, the person who was cut decided that they were trying to carve an X in his back when really they were just stabbing him. Oh, uh, which, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny that it's like a, a Lieutenant Aldo Rain jacked our style, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my understanding. Anyway, I, I don't I don't know. I, but uh, so it, it's interesting, you know, when I, I, I heard that uh, when I was researching you a couple years ago after I saw that video, it seems like you did get in a little bit of trouble as a kid, which was surprising to me because you seem like such a nice person, you know, not that nice people can't get in trouble but you seem like a really nice guy and it was just kind of surprising to me to see that yeah um i get that all the time uh i am a nerd at heart i'm a goof i mean you have a middle earth poster behind you right now for those listening i do i do i'm a i'm a big nerd um and i'm a goofball but i mean as you know like uh you know it's tough to judge a a kid by especially growing up in like the hardcore scene the goofiest most fun kids also tend to be real down with some wild stuff out of nowhere so i know I was some always, terrifying people who collect star wars figures yeah yeah and so that's kind of the um the thing is i i was always very unassuming and and people you know, people were saying what you're saying right now about me when I was doing home invasions for money. <laughs> so I, I like, uh, you know, it's always been a strength. It's always played to my strength that I'm like uh, well-spoken and approachable. And uh, I've used that to get out of a lot of trouble, honestly. But you avoided ever going to prison, right? I've never been to prison. No, no, I've never been to prison. I've never been to prison and I've never, and I would like to also clarify, I've never made a deal with the police ever. Those two things have <laughs> Never happened. So I've, uh, I'm a, my nose is clean on both ends. Gotcha. So where did comedy come into this? When did you decide that that was going to be your thing? So I got my life together in my early 20s or eh, mid 20s. And then um, I was like, I should get a girlfriend for the first time. And I did like a serious girlfriend. And then I was like, okay, so I have a job. I have a girlfriend. My life is like kind of normal. And then I kind of, once I got my life together and I was like 27, 28 years old. So, I mean, it's no good to be 28 and be like, all right, now what? Well, that's, I mean, I think that was pretty much me and probably a lot of people listening yeah. to this. So I mean, that's kind yeah. of the normal hardcore kid thing is you do a bunch of crazy, stupid shit, you know, until you're like 29. And you're like, all right, let's get let's get this show on the road. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of what happened. I was like, oh, man, what should I do with myself? And then I, I like kind of toyed around with going to school and then I tried personal training and you know, I just kind of like didn't know what to do with myself. And I, I felt really unfulfilled. I wanted like meaning and I wanted something to work towards and kind of put, I'm going to put all my energy into the one thing kind of guy. And I was just struggling to find that. And I, I mean, you don't have crime anymore. So comedy no. was the natural alternative. <laughs> no. And I, I'm not a good musician. You know, I, I always tried being a band and stuff and I really liked performing. And so um, I had I had done like a lot of writing. I had written like poetry and games and I had done like things like this. Uh, so I was like and I'd always been the funny guy and it had always been something that interests me. So I, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go for it. This is my plan. And I just did. And uh, here I am. So and, and how old out. are you now? I'm 34. OK, so you've been doing this for a little while. Yeah. Comedy is a 
tough way to make a living from what I understand. You've managed to do it. When did you kind of realize like, all right, this is going to work out? I'm about two years ago. Okay. So I'm still pretty new to being not having a day job and and sort of doing doing comedy as as my full-time gig and it's still like very stressful i don't know if you youtube full-time do you i don't but i could okay and i mean if you do one of the reasons you don't probably is just because there's this strange feeling of it could just all go away in a moment yes exactly that's exactly why. Yeah, and living with that has been really weird. And but I'm trying to like I decided to I was working as a comic and I was like, "Oh, I have enough money that I could just put all my energy into comedy." But I was still at the time right before I started doing comedy full-time, I was working at a t-shirt factory, which is like a or a t-shirt a printing press place. It was miserable. I used to do printing. It sucks shit. Yeah, I, I was like doing quality control. So I was like in a room with a machine that was like 135 degrees. <laughs> so I was just like wearing my underwear, checking shirts, sweating my ass off, you know, and uh, it was brutal. So I, but I was doing that. And then I would like go on the weekends and go headline a comedy club. And uh, I was like, oh, I should put all my energy into comedy because I think working this job is sort of defeating the purpose of like following my dream life. Yeah. Yeah. So I went for it the whole way. And uh, here I am, but it's been uh, stressful. Were those videos as big of a breakthrough for you as it seems like? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that they were because I did that dry bar, that first show. I wrote that set, that 45 minute set in like six months because they asked me to do a clean set and I didn't have one. I'm not a clean comic by trade. I mean, most comics aren't clean. It's very hard to do clean comedy. So they were like, sure, they they were like, hey, we'll pay you this much money and then we'll put you like on our website if you can do clean comedy. And I needed the money so badly that I was like, absolutely. Yes, I've got a clean hour. And they were like, oh, okay, great. And then I I set to work writing the hour I lied about having (laughs) immediately, (laughs) you know, a classic Classic thing. I mean, every job I've ever gotten in comedy, I've lied to get. I'll be honest. Uh, If you're listening to this and you're, you know, an agent or something, this is it's a (laughs) joke. Don't trust me. Yeah, it's a joke. This is all a joke. But yeah, even my very first show I ever did, they asked me if I had ten minutes of comedy, and I I didn't, and I was like, yeah, yep, I do, and just did it. Sure. Well, I think it it that format works so well for you because of the way you look. Like for other people doing, you know, they have to do edgy stuff because otherwise they'll seem corny. You know, just the way you look already establishes the fact that you're not, you know, that you're not that corny G-rated comic, you know. And so I think that that disparity between the two was actually like a perfect kind of way for you to kind of burst into the public. Yeah, I think so. It'd be better than if you did some filthy, super edgy thing, but like, all right, the guy with tattoos, you know, did some filthy, edgy comedy. That's expected. Yeah, totally. And and I've, um, I'm like very aware of that too. So even in my non-clean comedy, I, I'm very careful not to purposefully try to just be like, shocking or whatever because i am friends with a lot of pretty shocking comics where i'm like damn i can't believe this is what you're saying but sure yeah i did that clean comedy and and it blew up i i thought it would go nowhere i literally thought i was going to collect a small check and then be on my way but one day someone was like hey you're on the front page of reddit and i was like no way and i went and looked and i was like oh my god i am you know the next thing i knew i had 
an agent called me and I had like, you know, 60 million views or something on Facebook. It was absurd. And, uh, and then from there, it was just off to the races. Well, you know, I think the reason why it worked so well is because you're just like, it, it, it was comedy, but it wasn't even comedy. You were just telling the truth, you know? Yeah. And I think the best comedy comes from just that kind of really authentic truth. I think so too. Um, I look up to, I'm very lucky in that I got, I learned comedy by um, hanging out with and doing black rooms, which What's is that? like, Oh, oh uh, like so, black people. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, um, there's a different comedy circuit completely where black comics do like black churches and room. And I made friends with a couple of black comics and they took me on the road with them and helped me out. I mean, and then I look up to a lot of like Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Miss Pat, one of the greatest comedians of all time. Like no one makes me laugh harder than Miss Pat. She fucking absolutely crushes. If you've never heard of her, go look her up on Netflix. Okay. She, she has a special on the, uh, the degenerates that like is world endingly good, but so I learned this very like conversational like style because in those rooms, they'll suss out if you're not being authentic. You right. can't do like an impression of a comic. And I think that most comedy right now it is kind of comedies in like a uh, and I don't want to talk bad on like a lot of my, uh, I guess, co-workers, you could say my peers. But they they have a weird style where they're they're almost doing an impression of what they think a comic is. Yeah. And you watch it and you're like, uh, oh, this is so dorky. It's almost kind of cringes you out if you're if you're a little bit removed from it. I don't like stand up comedy for that exact reason. Like almost all of it. I'm just like, it doesn't seem like they are reflecting on something that they know is true. It seems like you said, like they're doing a bit and I don't like bits. Yeah, I don't either. And like I do bits. I write them. You can just feel that it's inauthentic. There's there's some like unspoken thing i think in music and comedy and uh not to get too woo woo about it but there's like this magic that like when you go to a good show especially metal i think personally and like in hip-hop and there's other but there's like this like energy that we're all sharing in the room and you can feel when it's real and you can feel when it's not like i i've i've seen um you know like a really heavy band live and been like, holy shit, this is the realest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I need to get up on top of something and jump off of it right now. <laughs> and, and I've also seen really heavy bands doing the same thing, essentially, saying, the, you know, similar things. And you can just tell that they don't, they don't mean it in the same way. And it doesn't hit the same way. That's why a lot of like death metal and stuff doesn't really do much for me especially now that I'm older, I used to listen to a lot of that stuff. And it's like, well, you're just writing something edgy because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Whereas there's a band like Death Threat where they have lyrics that are ridiculous. Like they have one that's uh, when you've got nothing, you don't give a fuck, which is so stupid. But at the same <laughs> time, it's like, man, I know I know what you're talking about. You uh, know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's so dumb, but it hits so hard because you know that it's a reflection of the truth. I think um, that's why genres like hardcore and black metal have these wildly rabid fans that get physical about yeah. their love for the music because 
it's so absurd that it feels like it shouldn't even be possible. No one should do what they do at hardcore or black metal shows. No one should like black metal. It's right. <laughs> like when you, a per, have you ever shown black metal to like a normal human being and they're like, what are you doing right now? I mean, that's the, the, the literal intent of the music is to make something that is unpalatable to anybody sane. But it's so authentic. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you're tapped into that, you can feel how much they mean it, even though it's absurd that you you can't help but like feel passionate about it. And uh, I try to do some kind of I don't know that I can like game the system and physically do it in my comedy, but I try to like maintain that authenticity. Well, that's why the comics that I like are not people like me, like sort of you know, middle of the road, like white guys. I, I I just don't find them funny. Have you seen that show? Well, I like a lot of sitcoms or, or series that are like started by or written by comedians. Like, have you seen uh, Never Have I Ever? No, I haven't actually. It's fucking great. It's basically like the Wonder Years, except it's about an Indian girl from the Valley. Uh, Mindy Kaling is like executive producer. I think she wrote some of it. Oh, okay. She's a genius. She's incredible. Yeah. You know, or Jimmy O. Yang, he's great, too. These people that I think, you know, sort of like you are, as opposed to where a lot of these comics are trying to say something funny, they're just sort of talking about their own experience in life and trying to present it in a way that's entertaining. And that is a lot more interesting to me personally than someone who's like kind of sitting down with a blank piece of paper trying to write a joke, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. There is, if you've ever been at dinner and you feel like someone's performing to you, it, yeah. it like it makes me fizz like there's <laughs> <Wanna> that hide <laughs> yeah it makes me want to hide or it like activates that 19 year old straight edge kid in me and i'm just like i want to punch this person out like right now you know it's like yeah if you ever hung out like you know you hang out like in those weird situations like your girlfriend's got a guy friend and he's like do like being sing songy and like you're just like yeah. i'll kill this person i cannot believe how awful they are I hate that. The kind of person who has uh, a copy of Boondock Saints uh, at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really bad. You know, or people that say, that's why I don't like Quentin Tarantino either. I feel like every line of his dialogue is just written with the intent of people like that saying it at parties or whatever to try to seem clever or edgy or entertaining. It's just painful. Yeah, that's the that's the the thing that gets me... The work, the Quentin Tarantino's, the Metallica's, where they start very authentic and they're like sort of I don't give a fuck authenticity right. is what like propels them to fame. And then they they get fame and then they get lost in the sauce and they spiral out. And now you have this like horrific product and you're like, oh, no, you were the one. Well, it's got to be tough. You know, I, I think about that a lot. You know, there's stuff that I wrote. You know, I used to have a blog years ago that some people liked. And there's people that ask me, you know, to do that sort of stuff uh, like, oh, I wish you still did stuff like that. And I can't because that was like 10 years ago and I'm a different person now. And if I did it, you know, and when I did that, I was not in a great place in life back then. And the, the work reflected it. And I'm in a much better place in life now. And I just can't I couldn't be edgy now because I'm not an edgy person anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I feel that. And I don't want to be. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. 
So do do you uh, do you deliberately self sabotage to make sure that your work stays uh, authentic? <laughs> uh, I yes. I, I live in a life. I live a lifestyle where I don't know that I could ever not be. I definitely. I'm a minimalist, so I live like way below my means, and I like kind of. I'm also. I have a a lot of ideas about how I want to live my life. And I think it keeps me pretty grounded. I'm very lucky in that way uh, that I figured that out. What kind of ideas do you mean? I'm a, I'm definitely like, as far as politics go, I'm a communist. So I have a lot of, I try to be like very focused on how I fit into the big picture and what's going on around me. And, um, you know, that keeps you humble <laughs> for sure. It does. And then I also, minimalism is important to me. So I try not to like own anything uh, extraneous or crazy. Um, I definitely try to never, ever, ever be in charge in a way. Like I never try to leverage my like perceived power. Like I have a I Twitch stream. That's like my main source of income. And like we have a Twitch community and we have a Discord and I'm not even a mod. Like I, I'm not in charge of my own Discord community, which is like a huge important part of me making money. I have other people in charge of it. Don't you think that's kind of like consistent? I, I do the same thing. I mean, I guess I'm a mod in my Discord, but I like I suppose I'm assigned that privilege in the software, but I literally never use it and I don't that's want to. me. That's me also. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just wouldn't want someone else to actually have the keys because I that would just not be smart, but I never use it. And I feel like that's kind of to me, it's the same as like I just conduct myself like it was a hardcore show. Like if it was a show and someone's going around telling everyone what they can and can't do and just acting like, you know, a narc. Yeah. That's not fun. It's not cool. And I don't like it. And just anything that to me feels like I or anyone else is like on a different tier than the audience just feels weird to me. Like just even saying the word fans to me, like I would never use that word because that just feels very strange to me. Absolutely. I'm 100% with you. My peers uh, who are comics, they do not have this mentality. You know, they openly talk about, oh, I wish I could hit 10,000 followers. Let's do it. Let's get here. Let's do this. And in that, I'm very uncomfortable with that kind of, like calling someone my follower, talking about my clout or perceived clout or whatever. All of that makes me very uncomfortable. I'm still very much rooted in that like hardcore kid collective sort of like we're all in this together. You know, I still remember I used to live in this small town in Utah and we our shows wouldn't be big. But what we would do is we would all pool money together for the guarantee for the band and we would just pay the guarantee to them and then the show would be free. And so we would pay bands. So like I saw so many huge, like way, way bigger than they should have been bands. Like I saw the warriors with just 30 people, you know, in like a little warehouse when they were like popping off, you know, right, like, right. cause we just got together and every single one of us were like, if we pay this much, they'll come here. You know, right. <laughs> and like we did, we got it together. We used to, we had crazy shows. Like we saw X Death Star X. I don't know if you remember mm -hmm. them. One yeah, of my yeah. favorite bands I've ever seen live. And we saw them, uh, we did like a parking lot show and my band played with them and we were like on top of a U-Haul and the police came to shut us down for rioting because it was so out of hand, like really fun stuff. And that was all yeah. about like the collective, you know, and I definitely still have that mentality. And I think it uh, 
I think it's a part of my success on social media. Well, I was going to ask about like kind of the difference between you and other comedians, because, you know, my experience has been that comedians tend to be pretty dysfunctional, oftentimes kind of scummy, not great people. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I just I was not aware of that. Uh, And just from listening to them on podcasts and stuff, I was like, wow, these people are pretty fucked up and not actually the kind of people I would really ever want to associate with for the most part. You know, that's just based on me listening to podcasts. You certainly don't seem like that kind of person to me. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that I'm a scumbag in like other ways. You know, I think a lot of comics have done like that. They'll talk about things. I don't I don't try to judge them, but I'm like, oh, yeah, you're all fucked up. Whereas when I say I'm fucked up, I'm like, yeah, they used, they used to rob drug dealers for a living. You know, I've like been a part of I've like done robberies and and like, you know, things like this, things that I regret, like uh, lots of fights and stuff. Sure. That that stuff doesn't bother me. It's more just like when they talk about like hooking up with, you know, groupies and stuff like that it just makes me just go yuck. That's and that's the thing where I'm like, I say what I've done and people are like, you hit a guy with a sword. And I was like, well, yeah, I, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I know like 20 people have done that. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm like. That's like a normal thing where I'm from. Like, have you never sword fought before? Yeah. And then and and then they're like, oh, yeah. And I, I fucked this girl and she was like very drunk, but it was fine. And I'm like, no, yeah, no, not, it's not. Fucking no, fun. never. And never in my life. Um, I've actually um gotten in trouble in comedy because uh several times um uh, not only female comics but also male comics have had issues with another person in the scene sort of being like sexually inappropriate or whatever yeah and i'm like let's fucking roll out now and and other comics were like no absolutely not we don't handle things that way and i'm like i why not i absolutely do though why (laughs) why do we not the um the broken staircase uh is very real in comedy I don't know if you what know is that. I don't know what the, the, know what the broken means. staircase metaphor is a, like uh, there's this person. We'll just say that there's a person in comedy who books a show locally. And I don't know how much this exists at my higher level. I, I don't hear about it anymore. But when I was first starting, you know, the community's much bigger at the bottom. And um, and there's like people who run little shows and stuff everywhere. But there'll be a guy who like runs one show at a bar. And like, of course, we all want to be on that show because we need stage time and girls We'll be like, yeah, he'll grab your ass, sexually harass right, you, right, right. What, and send you messages that are inappropriate. And he gets away with it all the time because he never does quite enough to get canceled, but he's gross. And so in the female community, they all know like, oh, he's gross. Watch out for him. That's a piece of a broken staircase. So they step you just over want to it. Step over it. Exactly. If your plan is to warn people about the staircase and never fix it, eventually someone's going to step on that step and fall through. Right, right, right. And so my whole thing is let's fuck up that part of the staircase. <laughs> <You> <laughs> get a hammer out yeah, and take care of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so I have been in trouble for that before, uh, which is a weird, you know, weird thing, but. That, that's one of the parts of comedy culture to me from the outside. Again, I may be totally wrong. It just seems so different from, you know, our world where, I mean, you would be literally taking your life in your hands to act that way. Yes. Ab- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to do, to just, to misstep in that way. And, and yeah, it's especially now. I mean, even when we first started going to shows, it was incredibly dangerous to do anything yeah. like that. 
uh, but I mean, guys were being scummy, but they, they were at least being scummy in a way where they weren't like severely mistreating anyone. But to to even do anything in our modern times in the scene yeah. is just like good. Good luck with that, bro. Yeah. And comedy, um, from what I understand, unfortunately, that's kind of just a show business thing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we've seen so much of that come out in the past couple of years. Yeah, it's incredibly unfortunate. And I've even personally experienced some of it where um, I couldn't react in the normal way I would. And, and I, I kind of got a, a, some insight into why, you know, uh, certain victims of, of scummy people just kind of are trapped. And, and it's mm -hmm. like a horrific thing. I, I've been up at night, like kind of, you know, thinking about it, just being like, damn, I don't know how to fix this. And, uh, and th that is a part of show business. Okay, round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode.
Well, what I like about your business model is that it seems like you are able to largely sidestep that. Like you said, you know, Twitch and Patreon and your podcast and stuff like that. I know you do play shows, but it doesn't seem like you, you know, kind of operate on that road dog sort of model like Bill Burr playing 300 shows a year or whatever. Yeah. You know, and so you can kind of do things on your own terms. I am um, what's called an industry outsider. So there are some comics. I think he's not as much anymore, but uh, Andrew Schultz was an example mm -hmm. of this. There are comics who get popular online and they kind of sidestep the industry because the industry, uh, just like the music industry, will scoop people up and it, it will say, oh, you're going. I, I, I see that you have potential and I'm going to like blow on this ember and create a flame and then I'm going to make all the money as you come up. Right. But the, I accidentally just got popular without anyone else through the Internet. And so I kind of circumvented them. And then um, they didn't know what to do with me. I mean, uh, so over time, I've kind of just like got my own thing. And even my agent isn't a normal comedy agent. My agent is like a bunch of deathcore bands agent. He's also a day to remembers agent and things like this. So, yeah, I, oh, okay. I don't even have a normal age. My agent is like a hardcore kid who manages all these bands it's just funny that even even when i do the normal industry things like get an agent which is something like you're supposed to do i i don't even it's not even normal yeah. you know it's weird i guess if i was to do it over or if i had the opportunity to do comedy i would way rather be in your shoes than somebody who's like you know a slave to the comedy industry and having to travel 200 days a year and all that shit. yeah and in i am looking forward to to touring more i've toured a bunch but i'm definitely not like a tour every week guy and, and and you can do it when you want and on your terms yeah you know at least much more so than people who really depend on that when i do tour i uh, tend to i split my time between the traditional places and i also make a big effort to go places where comedy doesn't normally go since i'm from a very small town in utah i know that how like important it is to have that where you are so like i've spent a lot of time going to like wyoming montana new mexico smaller weirder towns with like little theaters and stuff and um you know i've done a lot of driving to get to those weird places but when you do those people are like fans for life so yeah it's like you know people in the big cities you know in la and new york and stuff you know they have so many options they get very jaded and you know sometimes don't really get that excited about anything yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> New York and L.A. are the worst places to perform by far. <laughs> right. They're terrible, dude. They're terrible because everyone's just like, I saw I saw Bruce Willis yesterday. I Over. do not care that you're here, you know? Yeah. Well, so how how long have you been doing the Twitch thing? I've been doing Twitch. Uh, I started right before the pandemic. OK, good timing. So I started like, yeah, yeah. So I started last April. So I've been doing Twitch for about a year, like a little less than a year, about 10 months or whatever. And uh, it's been great. It's something I had dabbled in before I even got popular in comedy because video games have always been a big part of my life. But it didn't become like a major thing with a schedule and a community that it was the main focus of mine until last year. Got it. And what do you do? Yeah. I haven't I haven't watched any of your streams. I, I apologize. I should. But no worries. No worries. What do you do on there? So I, I variety stream, which means I do play some video games. But about half of what I do is like 
commentary. So I, I just talk. So we do we talk about politics and things. And I sort of like we talk about world events and the modern uh, news. And then we also talk about just like whatever else. So like on Wednesdays, I watch uh, bad reality TV and we and we make fun of it and discuss the shows uh, every Wednesday together. So like right now we're watching flavor of love, mm. which is just like, dude, the 2010s, like real block of reality TV is it's insane that it ever existed. I, Have you I watched, I, um, rock of love recently. That's what we started with. We started with all three seasons of rock of love. Imagine Brett Michaels being the fucking prize. I can't, uh, dude, <laughs> he's, it's so insane. And he's already passed his prime at the time of those shows. Yes. Like 43 year old Brett Michaels. It's, it's crazy. It's, absurd on another level that doesn't even make sense and like the way that they talked about women on those shows is mind-blowing that that was only 15 years ago those shows are the most problematic brett michaels (laughs) himself is insane dude so i i've written for reality tv since becoming a comic so i have like a little bit of inside baseball so even watching the show like i'm understanding what the producers are trying to accomplish, what's going on. And even from the insider, if you know how it's made, it's even crazier that it happened. Like, so, so t- tell me about this. Cause I'm going to make a video about rock of love. And I want to, I want to hear this. Well, so f- firstly, uh, the, it's all real. Like th- it's happening. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, it's a stage. Those women are not actors. Right. Those, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they are who they appear to be. They are who they appear to be. Like when they're crying because they're genuinely in love with Brett Michaels. Like, <laughs> so that's happening, right? And and also, which the- which I'm laughing at, but it's actually kind of sad and fucked up that like we put that on TV and exploit it. Yeah, no, and it's why and you know create this. Basically, we create emotional distress for these people for our entertainment. Well, they when they they do the show they. They absolutely, they have tryouts, they're watching tapes, they're, and they're picking people who they think are going to be the most authentically into him, who are going to be the most problematic. They catch people sure. in lies and allow them to stay. Oh. They, they've got, so the producers are very aware. Like, so when people like reveal they have a boyfriend, reveal they have a girlfriend at home, these kinds of things that like betray. Like, Great. This is going to blow up by episode seven. Let's keep her. So when Brett Michaels is genuinely annoyed and distressed that a woman is has a fiance at home and he's angry, he's he's too dumb to realize there are three guys like me who wrote the show right. who were like, <laughs> yes, excellent. <laughs> they know the, the puppet they, masters. Dude, they absolutely knew and they let it happen anyway. Not only do they know, but they interviewed her, went and looked into her, figured out like, oh, this chick is living with her boyfriend and we're like perfect get her on the show right, jerry right. you know so like so it's as uh, cynical as as i think it is oh it's as evil as you think it is and then on top of that they do challenges where they're having these women like play football full contact the producers who made the show and wrote out the season were like i mean that's them being like they don't need pads they're fine. <laughs> Right. Like in the third season, they have them play hockey with no mouth guards, no chest pads, no anything. And they're just playing hockey on the ice and a girl blows out her titty. God, that's right. 
And it's right. like, yeah, of course she was going to blow out her titty. Hockey's very dangerous, yeah, you which guys. Is, which is not funny. I mean, that's like a serious injury, you know? Oh, yeah. It's wild. It's it's the whole show is so absurd. I, I couldn't believe. And Bret Michaels is really having sex with these women. And 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 um and he's genuinely when you when you watch him and how unlikable he is and how how perturbed he is about a lot of the women's behavior that's all real. It's so crazy to me. To the end of the first season, not to spoil it for anyone who wants to watch. It is a fifteen-year-old show. Yeah. He genuinely threw the producers a curveball that they didn't know was going to happen and just tried to be with both women. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, you can't fault the guy for trying. My no. favorite part of the show, which I, I haven't watched the whole thing in a long time. Maybe you'll remember what episode it was. There's one of the girls who comes out with like a, a some outfit or a, I don't remember what it was, but they're like, you know, he, they're like, well, you know, ask him like, what are you thinking? It was like, there, there was movement. <laughs> referring to like... <laughs> his dick yes yes he's such a scumbag like as opposed to saying she wow she looked amazing i'd never seen her that way she looked beautiful there was movement he he often betrays the women and then sends them off the show and then to uh help them it to make them feel better about whatever horrific thing is happening he goes you're very hot I just want to make yes, sure yes. I want to make sure as she's devastated emotionally that he's betrayed her. Right. He goes, oh, to reassure you. Yeah. To like, I just want I want you to know you're very hot right now. When he's about to kick someone off the show, uh, he makes sure to let them all. Now, I had such a hard time picking between all you beautiful, beautiful girls. Yeah. You're all so beautiful. It's very difficult for me to choose which one of you attractive ladies to send home. So there's only one way you think about these people. Clearly. He had a woman get his name tattooed on her and then he didn't pick her. God, I forgot about that. <laughs> Dude, that's another level. I mean, I wasn't even mad at him on that one. I was like, that's a baller move, dude. That's God. a baller move. That's one way to think about it. Well, <laughs> anyway, we got sidetracked, but I was, I was curious about Twitch because this sounds pretty similar. I know I need to get on Twitch and this sounds pretty similar to what I want to do where, you know, it's just like uh, some some I forget somebody in my comments. Uh, she said like a friend simulator is kind of how I think about it. That's what I call uh, everything I do. I'm always like the friendship simulator, the podcast, Twitch. Uh -huh. It's all that's like that. Even my style of comedy, it's like conversational and based in like real life and how a friend would talk to you if you were chilling in a group of four, just trying to have fun at Denny's. That's like my jam. So it's yeah. all about the friendship simulator, man. Yeah, I, I like that angle as opposed to, you know, people might think, uh, you know, you, you uh, tune into Twitch and watch Shane try out new material for an hour a day or whatever. Yeah. Uh, which, which you know, I mean, I suppose that would be cool now and then. But, uh, you know, to me, that that wouldn't be as compelling. No. And we do lots of like things that you might do if you just sat down with the homies, you know, and you were just hanging out in the room like, the other day we'd watch music videos. I was just like, um, I, I'm in a rotting out music video and, oh, and we were like <laughs> laughing about it. And we were laughing about, it. yeah, I'm like in the, sh I, I was at the show where they film it and then I'm wearing like a big tall tee with Dragon Ball Z on it. And so you okay. can just clearly see me um, kicking someone and then diving <laughs> into the crowd like an, like an asshole and hurting my back because I'm too old to be doing these things. And um and we were laughing about it that I'm in a running out video or whatever. And then we started watching other hard you know music and we were just chilling watching music videos. Uh, and like that's 
a very like people watch this and it's like yeah actually you know we're just hanging out together it's very it's it's very fun to just kind of be a fly on the wall hanging is that kind of the format that you like did, did it take you a while to figure that format out or did you kind of go into it that way or how did you kind of find your groove there it did take a while you know at first i was i wanted to be shroud you know or dr disrespect uh -huh. i I'm not bad. At, I'm pretty good at video games. My brother okay. plays video games professionally. I've played a few games at close to the professional level. And I've also played a lot of games. Really, I qualified for the pro tournament in Magic the Gathering. And so I'm a, a real virgin. gamer. Yeah. Oh, exactly. oh, 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 that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so um, I wanted to be like a gamer's gamer. I wanted to be like, I wanted people to watch me. Uh -huh. like click heads and be the guy and um <laughs> i quickly realized that you're not as good uh, you know there's it's a skill to stream right and so i was so bad at playing games and interacting with the chat and sort of dealing with all this at once and i i quickly realized like oh i'm not this guy i'm definitely not a uh who i thought i was and then i began to um, you know, I would get tired and I wouldn't want to play games, but I would want to stick to my schedule. And as that happened, I sort of fell into this groove of just of hanging out on stream and just sort of like interacting with people and having a good time and watching shows or listening to music and sort of. And, and as I fell into the friendship simulator, I was like, oh, I accidentally carved out my own style of streaming. Gotcha. What is your schedule for Twitch? It's just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, seven Pacific Standard Time to whenever, usually midnight. And I try sometimes I try to stream earlier or later, but I'm uh, notoriously bad at, at being uh, early. So the comedian who had trouble staying on time, <laughs> I'm shocked. Who could have yeah. ever seen that one coming? <laughs> It seems like that consistency part is really important for Twitch, that people know when to tune in. Yeah, definitely. How did you land on that schedule? Originally, it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But my schedule changed because uh, basically I, I started, comedy started to come back for a second during the pandemic. There was like outdoor comedy and stuff. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, I work on the weekends. What am I doing? I can't. And so then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is the schedule now because when the pandemic ends and I begin to work, that will be the time I will be able to stream even when I'm working on the weekends. Right. So that's kind of just how I fell into it. And um, 7 p.m. because I am lazy and I, I like go to the gym and stuff during the day and I just want to lay around and not work. <laughs> basically. Yeah, I, go, I go to the gym during the day, too. I just can't. I can't at night. I, my problem is then I get home at like nine and I can't sleep until super late. Yep. Um, yep. Or it could go in the morning, but I like working in the morning. But yeah, so I got, I got to get on the Twitch thing. And how about uh, TikTok? It seems like you've been doing pretty well over there. How long have you been on there? That's a recent thing. So I only started trying at that in since like December. Okay. I had it. I had it and I literally only used it to laugh at other people on right. TikTok. And I made like two TikToks in like October and they did pretty good. I was like, oh, I have a couple hundred thousand views on these. And then I realized, um, oh, like the app doesn't know who I am. Uh -huh. No one at TikTok, and I didn't even have my normal username. People just found me and liked the, what I made. And I was like, oh, I'm probably pretty good at this. Cause I was, I had a popular Vine account too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm in a few, if you ever, you, you might accidentally see me in the wild in some Vine <laughs> compilations. Uh, and so I was like, oh, 
I should just make TikTok. I should actually try it this. And so then I, I like buckle down and tried to make a few funny ones. And then my it blew up and I was like, oh, OK, cool. <laughs> so I think TikTok is fucking awesome. Like there's a lot of yeah. crap on there, of course. But to me, that is like the forefront of Internet creativity right now. There's so many fucking super smart, super creative kids on there that like just make me feel so clueless and stupid and unfunny and it's amazing yep that is the jam i agree with you tiktok is where it's at you see some of these like 17 year olds and like god damn it that girl's funny like i don't stand a chance (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um i love it you know i'm a child of the internet which has played to my strengths in my career and i'm definitely not afraid of progress so i it's so funny because lots of other comics i see all the time they're doing the old man yells at sky thing like i've been doing comedy for nine years and i struggled so hard to get popular on twitter and put out a comedy central special and some 19 year old kid has nine million followers on tiktok and everyone loves them what is this shit and i'm I'm always like, you know that you could just also be on TikTok. The energy you just spent crying about it, you could have just made a TikTok. Yeah, that's my like. And so that stuff cracks me up. And I'm just like, go make them. But people people don't want to people don't want to do multiple things. Well, I think it's also scary. I mean, I feel that, too. Like the reason why I'm not on TikTok. Well, for one, I just legitimately don't have a lot of time. But, you know, I mean, to be honest, part of it is like that. It's it's scary because I don't know if I would be good at it. Like I've done well on YouTube and Instagram and that's cool. But, you know, I would almost there's a part of me. It's like, oh, well, I just want to tell people I don't have time to be to be on TikTok. When in reality, like part of it is that I'm scared that I won't do as well on TikTok as I did in other places. Yeah, I could see you doing well uh, on TikTok. And with uh, I always see because most of my TikTok is like <laughs> I don't want to like mentally ill people in Russia blowing stuff up. Like I, it's very my my TikTok is very because you know the algorithm knows what you like, dude. It's crazy how well they know it. I have opened TikTok on the phone I have now. I had opened it maybe four times for like a total of a minute each. And I fucking opened it up and it showed me all this like Vietnamese comedy stuff. My wife is Vietnamese, so I actually do like Vietnamese comedy. Okay. Like Vietnamese American humor. Yeah. There, I have never fucking once interacted with, or I have now, but I had never interacted with anything like that on TikTok before. How the fuck did they know that a 42 year old white guy would want to see Vietnamese American jokes? Dude, it's in the it's in your phone. It knows, you know, it's fucking scary. It's wild. So, yeah, my um, mind just knows that I like like wild, you know, videos that are funny. And but every once in a while, I'll get like the uh, music videos where it's like someone like explaining the history of like a black metal band or uh-huh. or or someone being like, this is the difference between this, this and this music. Or here's some facts. I can absolutely see you on the green screen. I should. Yeah. Some facts. Come I, on, I, man. I need, to, get I need out there. to do it. I need to do it. It. I. Part of it is that I legitimately don't have very much free time, but you know, there's the fear of failure too. But I know that I, I know that I can do it, and you know, you just have to. It's okay, you know, for anybody listening who's afraid of putting themselves out there on any sort of new platform or whatever. It's totally natural to be afraid of it, but you got to do it anyway, you know. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because it's that curse where both of us, um, I think that we have a level of self-awareness that's tapped us into things like hardcore and metal, which you need a lot of passion for. 
and and also they kind of keep you away from like bad comedy right because yes. you're like oh i can i've sussed you out i see that you're not being genuine fuck you yeah. but that skill which i think is very important and like really useful and something i i value in my friends is also something that keeps you from doing things absolutely because with that self-awareness comes the knowledge that like oh i'm going to look stupid i'm gonna get clowned on i'm gonna fail and that fear can be devastating and so you have to balance the self-awareness of seeing other people be bad and knowing no 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 you're bad i don't like that (laughs) but also trying to allow yourself to be a little bad sometimes because you have to be you do i mean it's it's like anything else i mean how many how many jokes have you told on stage that flopped and that probably didn't feel great but you know it's part of the process the first you know the first few years of comedy are an exercise in in like debasement (laughs) you know it's like humiliation i you know i don't really enjoy watching most stand-up but i have tremendous respect for it because i mean just getting up there on stage in front of a pizza bunch of people are like okay make me laugh yeah like that is brutal and i know how hard it is even to come up with five minutes of good shit like how how many how many l's do you have to take to get to that point you know it's it's an it's a lot it's a lot and i started late too so when i i remember taking l's and just being like i'm 29 years old in a bar (laughs) in idaho just absolute getting like clowned on by these these like old dudes no one thinks i'm funny it's so miserable and and you're just like you really gotta want it you gotta want it so bad and you're like hey motherfucker now i'm famous on tiktok who's laughing now Boom, got him, you know? Some comics do get lost in the sauce because they go through so much to get to where they are and they have that authenticity and that realness. But once they get to where they are, it's so easy to be like, all right, fuck all of you, I did it. I I did three years of being humiliated, five nights a week. I paid my dues. I I puked from being nervous a thousand times. I was, I lost girlfriends. I, I was, you know, my family doubted me. I finally made it. And then they kind of lose themselves in that wave of, I did it. And, uh, and they become bad. I mean, yeah, exactly. And that's, I never want to let that happen to me. You know, I mean, I would say like, you know, getting to where I'm at on YouTube is a similar kind of achievement of like, that's fucking hard. You know, that's incredible. That's the product of, you know, I started out making zines when I was 14, you know, and this is, so this is the product of decades of work on my part. And I'm, I'm really proud of it and grateful for it and all that. And just the idea of kind of starting that process over on another platform is like, Oh boy. But on the other hand, it's like, well, that's the fucking name of the game. So yeah, you know, the sooner you start, the sooner you're going to get there. I, I, yeah, I had that similar thing where I started to get popular at stand up and I was popular on Instagram, but I had no Twitter following. And I kind of had to like go out and start trying to be funny on Twitter. And I, and I, I'm like very aware of who's funny and why on Twitter. But like three years ago, I was like, I'm going to look so stupid tweeting and getting two likes, you know? <laughs> and, but I was just like, you just got to do it. Yep. You just got to fucking go out there and get your three likes or whatever and write jokes every day and post them. And, you know, and now I, it's worked, you know, but it felt stupid 
for a long yep. time. And uh, and that was the same thing with TikTok, where I was like, man, I'm going to look so stupid to my peers. You know, no one wants I, I don't want like I, I'm friends with famous people. And I know that they're going to be like, you're Shane, you're in your 30s and you have TikTok. Are you serious? But like, it's fun. I like it. Fuck off. And if they're <laughs> reacting that way, they're wrong. And you're right. Oh, totally. Totally. And that's another thing is when people are naysayers, especially about like the new thing, the new fun thing, it's like. Do not allow yourself to be become old man yells at sky. 100% of the time, you will be historically wrong. Yeah. 100, you, you, 100% of the time. Yeah. And also, it's crazy because I think that people do, they see th the new thing, and, and this happens in music too. I remember when Crabcore happened, uh -huh. and I was like, I personally was like, yes, this rules so hard, dude. It's so heavy. It's so dumb. And yeah. like, I was just like, these people are having fun. And I remember when kids with really long swoopy hair started moshing and all my friends were like, right, right, right. Like didn't like it. And I was like, this rules, dude. I, we're having the best time. What are you talking about? I can listen to Blood for Blood and, and I could fist fight during the show. And I like that. I yeah. do enjoy that vibe. And then I can also go to an attack attack show. I can see hot girls. I can mosh my heart out and I can like laugh. And, and there's it's I get to do more of what I like to do with a different vibe. Like, why are we mad at this? And um, and now all my friends who hated that are now into it. You know what I mean? Of course. Yes. It's the 10 year rule that I've talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you made your, you made a video about uh, attack attack and stuff and I was watching it just like just hands up in the air, like mm -hmm -hmm. <laughs> whatever the corniest, dumbest shit you can think of now that you're a hundred percent certain will never be taken seriously. It will be. When I was the most hardcore, hardcore kid, I still went to corn because I was there like, no, man. Firstly, have you ever seen them live? Yeah, I saw them on their first national tour with Sick of It All. They're heavy. They were amazing. They're so much heavier live than mixed down for their CD. They're they. I when I saw them live, I was like, oh my, we should be moshing. Like we should I get them. this. Yeah, and I still love them. And it's just so funny to watch them go. Everyone likes it. Everyone likes it. No one likes it. Everyone <laughs> likes it. It's like what, dude? You're ruining your own life. You could have seen Corn <laughs> at Ozfest and you didn't because you were too tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Well, I have a very personal question, which you can feel free to skip if you want. But okay, I see sometimes you talk about being single and being on Tinder and stuff like mm, that. Yeah, I'm sure you get tons and tons of female attention. Yes, you seem like a good guy. What's the deal? So the deal with me is, well, firstly, I'm like severely mentally ill. <laughs> um, I don't know how much that affects. It's affected past relationships for sure. Yeah, but you're but. There's plenty of hey, look, even Hitler had a girlfriend. True, he did. Uh, yeah, he mean, did. <laughs> he did. He and he married that's her. That's a Mr. Even. T experience song. I stole that joke. <laughs> um, I so I do get lots of female attention. Truth be told, I'm queer anyways. I get male attention too. I'm about it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that it well, whatever. What insert, you know, insert, yeah, no, it, whatever it doesn't you're matter. interested in. But I definitely don't want to front and be like, oh, no, I'm not getting attention. I have all the options available. To sure. Me. And I get plenty of attention. But um, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about how I, I really value that sort of self-awareness in my friends. There's a certain a way that I think especially people like us come up 
when we're young and then into adulthood. I think that especially me being so passionate about music and having this weird sort of path, I still maintain a lot of my like goofy childlike wonder, but it is tempered by a lot of seriousness too. Yes. I, I think that's a very specific thing to the hardcore scene where, yes. where um, when it's time to get serious, it's the most serious. You know, yeah. I have friends in prison sure. and then, and when it's time to be goofy, no one's goofier and um finding a partner who can do that especially in our older age has been challenging and so and i am not settling you know yep. and then also i got popular and that just like devastated my ability to connect with people because even just knowing i'm about to say it bugs <laughs> me it's so gross. I'm going to say it yeah and i just want everyone listening to know how much i hate myself <laughs> but the clout gap between you and someone else, it truly affects how much you can trust someone, what they want from you, yes. how they treat you. And what you can relate to. Like, for example, mm -hmm. like if I was going to, you know, date Ariana Grande, like I have no fucking clue what her life, like she would come home and tell me about, you know, how she, you know, got in an argument with fucking, you know, Britney Spears backstage somewhere. <laughs> and I, and, and to her, that's a normal day. And to me, it's like, what the fuck is your life? Yeah. So I've, I've had a really hard time making genuine connections romantically. Uh, I've even had a hard time making friends now that I've been more popular and moving around and doing yeah. other things. And so, and, and I only ask that by the way, not I, like, I'm genuinely curious. I wasn't asking for a joke because you seem like a, a very self-aware person, you know, who would have a good answer for that question. So that just to be clear, that's why I asked not, not, not to make fun of you. No, no, not at all. It makes it's, it's a good question. I'm actually surprised more people don't ask about it. I think I used to be married. I'm divorced. I think some people just assume I'm married still, which is fine with me. But yeah, I um, I've I just struggled to make these genuine connections. A lot of people, do you ever just talk to them and you just feel like I could get away with anything? Yes. You're kind of just uh, talking to me, but like, and it doesn't feel good. It's weird and yeah, like it shouldn't be that way. No, and, and I I I really 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 dislike not feeling as if we're on some kind of equal footing. Yeah. I, I mean, even to go back to our conversation earlier when we were talking about how both of us like being a part of the collective and sort of never putting ourselves above and how uncomfortable it makes us romantically, I mean, exponentially, that's worse, right? I, feeling that way about a romantic partner is just, I can't imagine anything it more. It can never work that way. No. Yeah. No. And so um, finding that person who just kind of is like, I don't give a shit about what you do, but I support you because people sometimes they'll go too far in the other direction where they're like, I don't care about you and what you do. Yeah. And, like, and it's All like, right. oh, well, <laughs> well, I want you to support me. I want you to like, I want you to like what I make, you know? Right. Like you could be, a fan without being a fan. Yeah. Right. And I find that a lot of people in my community and people I interact with um, on a daily, like on social media and stuff, they manage to do that. And that's really cool. But finding that romantically is tough for sure. So gotcha. I have dated a few people. And also I will say when I do meet people that I want to date, um, I do get a lot of attention from women sexually. And uh, that bothers. I've dated a lot of girls who are like, oh, I'm used to dating losers and watching you get this attention is is not something I'm comfortable with. Which is understandable. Wanna... You yeah, know? Who, totally. who would like that? Totally. It's tough. Um, 
So they're like, I don't want to, I can't hang. Like I, I simply can't knowing that you could just not be with me and you'd be fine that you could just yeah. go sleep with any, any of these people. I'm mentally not capable of dealing with it. And uh, I can't fault them, you know, and, and it is what it is. So that has also affected my ability to date. And so here I am, man, single as hell. You're about <laughs> to go stream some Pokemon or whatever. <laughs> Dude, tonight we're watching Flavor of Love. There we go. So, yeah. Before I let you uh, go to get to that last question, let's say, you know, five years from now, if everything went exactly the way that you kind of hope it would, what would life look like for you? Dude, life five years from now, if everything goes according to plan, I will be um, doing comedy. I will I will have um, an album that I've self-produced that I've maybe sold to an outlet like Netflix or HBO that's doing very well. I will be touring. I will have a very small apartment here in New York City so that I can work. And I will have um, some land in Utah, like a ranch where I can ride dirt bikes, shoot guns, listen to loud music and be an idiot. All my friends and family who need help or assistance or a place to stay will be welcome on this place. I will be having shows there. I will be playing music and I will be doing my best to be like a force for good in whoever's life I can be. And I will be doing comedy. And that's kind of like my big plan. So, okay. yeah, yeah. The ranch. It's all about the ranch. I see no reason why you can't do it. I, I and you know what? I can't wait to have you down, put a gun in your hands and then play some music together or something. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I'll, I got a couple. I'll bring them. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You live in the Pacific Northwest. You got guns. Yep. Oh, dude. Love it. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you for uh, making time for this and uh, good luck on the stream. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, cross paths sooner than later. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from NoFX and Ian McKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.